It's great to see all of you here tonight. It's an awesome opportunity for us to just praise God and focus on the Savior. This uh, month of December, the last four weeks as a church here at True Life Church, we've been celebrating Advent, a season of expectation. And you can see our candles up here. We've been um, talking about the expectation of hope and faith and peace and adoration. And tonight we're going to be talking about the expectation of the Savior. And as I think about maybe one of the Christmases that I remember the best, maybe remember the most vividly, maybe that's the best way for me to put it, I think of this Christmas back in 1986. Yeah. Did I hear whoa? Man, that makes me feel old. I was 12 years old, and I was anticipating, and I had huge expectation for one particular gift that I had asked for that year. I was a huge G.I. Joe fan, and so I asked for a brand new G.I. Joe vehicle. It was called the G.I. Joe Night Raven Plane, and it was one of the bigger things that was out at the time. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I think there's a picture there for you. This is what I asked for for Christmas. This is what I was expecting for Christmas. This is what I was anticipating for Christmas. And so I could not wait for Christmas to come. The problem was is that I couldn't wait for Christmas to come. And so one evening when my parents were out, I decided that I would go hunting for the unwrapped Christmas gifts that were hidden away. I'm pretty sure I roped maybe a brother or two into this, but they may deny that so that they wouldn't get in trouble. But um, I went searching high and low through the house, and um, I find my way into an unfinished part of our basement near my dad's wood furnace, and underneath a bunch of boxes and blankets, I discovered the unwrapped gifts. And to my excitement, what did I find? The G.I. Joe Night Raven plane. And so I knew, because I was the one that asked for it, that that was a gift for me. I was super excited about the fact that I was going to get it. And then not long after that, my expectation and anticipation of getting this great gift at Christmas time turned to a level of disappointment. Because come Christmas Day and I'm opening up my gift, I knew exactly what my gift was. It lost its appeal. It lost its expectation. I still looked forward to playing with it, but there was a lack of excitement in finding that gift underneath the tree because what I was expecting and anticipating was already kind of done away with when I searched for it before it was wrapped. And then in that moment or in those days around that, my feelings of expectation changed from excitement to about getting a certain gift that I was looking for, to expectation, as I had to tell my parents what I did, of now I'm going to be disciplined by my parents, and an expectation of dread, uh, how that was going to go for me. Now, my parents were pretty gracious. I think they realized that in my discovering my unwrapped gifts long before Christmas, I mean, it was probably three weeks before Christmas, that the fact that it took away from the fun of it, it took away from the enjoyment of it, it took away from the surprise of it. I think my parents knew that that was really kind of enough punishment for me. But as I was thinking about that particular Christmas in my life, and I think about 
those of us here in this room, as we approach Christmas, the different expectations that we have for Christmas. And there's a wide variety of expectations that we may actually come into the Christmas season with. We may have the expectation that we're going to be able to spend time with family and friends and enjoy celebrating together and enjoying great food together and enjoy opening presents together. For some of you, whether young at heart or just plain young, there's a particular gift that you're just expecting to get and you're looking with anticipation to open that up. I'm kind of at the point now where I, I get excited at Christmas about what gift my wife and my kids have kind of come together to try to get me. Because I don't usually ask for anything and I don't usually offer much. They usually ask me and I'm like, oh, I'm not really sure. And, and so I kind of just, I like the fact that I just leave it up to them and they get to surprise me. And, and they haven't let me down yet. Like they've came, come up with some great gifts. No pressure, kids, for tomorrow. But you know, like we, we have this expectation maybe of a gift that we're looking for. Or maybe we have this expectation that we're going to be able to relive the nostalgia of Christmas's past, right? I, I've gone through that before. I've actually gone through the other side of it where it's like you're kind of disappointed because Christmas wasn't like what I remember when I was a kid. I, I, I have those C9 bulbs, not the LED ones, like the big fat C9 bulbs outside my house that adorn my house for Christmas. I'm discovering that I'm becoming quite a dinosaur. Because <clears throat> I went looking for like more strings of those lights. You cannot find those anymore. Like you're supposed to be going LED, like saving the environment, and I'm apparently not doing that. And I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> Gone are the days where I could go out and get my like, high-powered lights that cost a fortune when you're running them. Sometimes we expect kind of the nostalgia of Christmas's past, and we don't always get it. But you know what? If we're really honest with ourselves, we may actually know that this year the expectation we have for Christmas might be very different. Some of you in this room may be expecting that this Christmas is going to be sadder than other Christmases because it's the first Christmas that you're going to celebrate after losing a loved one this year. Or maybe you're coming into this Christmas season and you know that it's a Christmas that's going to be filled with anxiety and concern because you're facing a serious illness or a loved one is facing a serious illness or there's a challenge that's going on in your life that is just causing all sorts of turmoil. And so the expectation you have for the holidays is, you know what, this is not going to be a great season. There's a lot of diversity of expectation when it comes to the Christmas season. You know what, the very first Christmas... The Christmas that many call Advent, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was also a season of diverse expectation when it came to the Savior. Wherever you find yourself this Christmas, let me ask you to consider the expectation of the Savior. The reason why we actually meet on a night like tonight and celebrate Christmas is because it's wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ in his first coming as a baby. I'm going to read a few verses from Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 because I want us to see that in this passage alone, and then I'm going to refer to the, some of the passages that were already read this evening, Luke chapter 2 being one of them, 
if you take the different people involved in these different passages of Scripture, there's a wide range of expectation when it comes to the birth of Jesus Christ. Let me kind of break it down for you a little bit. You've got, in Matthew chapter 2, you've got the wise men from the east. They were expecting to see a king. They were expecting to travel and find a king and pay homage to that king and bow down and worship that king. That was their expectation. When they meet King Herod, who was the king that was ruling in Jerusalem at the time, and they tell him, hey, we found this, we've seen the star of the king that's going to be born in, 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 in this area. And his expectation immediately went to, I've got a rival that's going to be going for my throne. And so his expectation of the newly born Jesus was that this is somebody that I'm going to have to compete with. And ultimately, his expectation turned to tragedy in that region because he went out to try to eradicate that rival by having every newborn boy, two years of age or younger, executed. And there was massive sorrow in that region because Herod expected a rival. A rival that actually was not going to rival him and go for his throne. And then you have the religious leaders of the day that when the wise men show up and Herod asks their advice on this, hey, do you know anything about this? These religious leaders who had all of the information at their disposal to know exactly when the Messiah was going to come, when the Savior was going to come, they didn't have a clue that he was even coming. They had absolutely no expectation at all because they weren't even looking for him. Then you've got Mary and Joseph described in Matthew chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 2. You have the shepherds described in Luke chapter 2 and Simeon all looking for a Savior. Their expectation was that Jesus was going to be the Savior that was to save people. And you see that in the prophets of old, Micah and Isaiah as well. There was a diversity of expectation when it came to the Savior of mankind when he arrived that first Christmas. I want to read these verses with you just so that you can see what's going on here. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he asked them, Where is the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him. Because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time that the star appeared. And he sent, sent, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, report back to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star that they had seen at its rising. It led them until they came and stopped above the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling on their knees, they worshipped him. 
They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. You have three different groups of people with three expectations of the Savior in this very passage. It's interesting because if we look at the passages of Scripture that have already been read in this particular passage of Scripture, you have Jesus described three different ways. You have him described as a king. You have him described as a shepherd. And you have him described as a savior. So I want us to think a little bit about this shepherd, savior, king that we have before us as we have an expectation of the Savior, Jesus Christ. It says here in this passage, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Shepherds aren't really that common in our area. We don't really think about shepherds that much. But it's interesting that Jesus is described as a shepherd here, along with being described as a king and as a savior. And when we think about a shepherd, there's certain things that a shepherd does. One thing that a shepherd does, he leads the sheep. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that Jesus desires to lead us. Desires to be our shepherd, to lead us in right paths, to lead us in wisdom, to lead us in integrity to lead us in the way that God intended us to live. He desires to protect us. He desires to protect us from our fears and our anxieties, our discouragement. He desires to protect us from the enemy's attacks that seek to destroy our lives. He seeks to provide for us. He seeks to provide peace, joy, contentment, hope, we sang just recently about the fact that he has come for us as Jesus, the hope for all mankind. I don't know about you, but right now, living in 2021, almost 2022, it seems pretty hopeless around us sometimes, doesn't it? I think about the, the expectations that we have for Christmas. Just in this time right now, you may have expected that you're going to be able to have certain festivities around Christmas with your family members, and then all of a sudden, COVID announcements come out, or somebody gets a bit of a cough, and then all of a sudden, boom, the expectation of meeting all of a sudden is, I don't know if we're going to meet anymore. How quickly things can change, how quickly we can get demoralized, how quickly things can see ho seem hopeless, and yet, you know what? Jesus desires to provide hope for us. Lastly, the shepherd desires to save. How do we know that? Because in, Luke, in John chapter 10, Jesus describes himself as a shepherd. He says that I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus describes himself as a shepherd. He wasn't just described as a shepherd. He describes himself as a shepherd. And he says, you know what? The shepherd's going to lay down the, his life for the sheep. Because Jesus came to save. In fact, Scripture tells us that Jesus came to save people from their sins. Here's the thing. We don't necessarily talk about the word sins a lot. We don't use that necessarily a lot in our language today. And so it's easy to ask the question, well, what is sin? 
One of the best ways to, to keep that in mind is that sin is anything that falls short of God's perfect standard of goodness, justice, morality. Anything that falls short of God's perfect standard is sin. Pastor Josh and, actually, and I were actually talking in the office just recently about sin and what sin does and how sin works. And sin, sin corrupts. It, it, it destroys what the perfect intended use and direction was for us. You think about what marriage was, was intended to be. It was in, intended to be a perfect relationship between husbands and wives. And then sin enters the picture, and what does it do? It causes strife in marriages. It was, we were designed to have perfect relationships with our kids. Our kids were supposed to be perfectly obedient. Oh, wouldn't that be paradise? But sin has entered the picture, and guess what? We're not great parents sometimes, and our kids aren't great kids. We don't always get along with our neighbors. You know, they borrow the shovel, and they don't bring the shovel back. There's a bit of animosity there, because you know when you see them shoveling their driveway, that's my shovel. Right? Sin just kind of invades that space and ruins what God intended to be perfect. But you know what? Sin separates us from a holy God. We've been, Jesus has been described as the Savior. Matthew 1, 21, we've read it already. And she will give birth to a son, and you will name his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Luke 2, 10 and 11 says, But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy which will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. John three sixteen through 18, very familiar verses that we read. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God loved us so much that he sent his only Son born as a baby, born in a stable, born in humility, born in vulnerability, so that he could come and grow up and be the man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who would die on the cross of Calvary for our sins. To pay the penalty for our sins that we owed so that we could have peace with God. We could have a right relationship with God when we put our faith and trust in Christ. Jesus came to save us from the power of sin, the presence of sin, and the penalty of sin. Jesus said also one other thing in John chapter 10 when he was describing himself as a good shepherd. He says this, I truly, I tell you, I am the gate of the sheep. He's not only the shepherd, but he's the gate by which we must enter into eternal life. Acts 4.12 says this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Our salvation is in Jesus and Jesus alone. You know what? When we trust Christ as our Savior, we can expect that God will transform our lives transform our desires, transform our expectations, transform our attitudes. 
We become people who love others the way that God loves them. We become people who pursue peace. We're people of hope, and we desire to share that hope with everybody that we can come in contact with. Those are things that we can expect when we come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We also can expect a home in heaven with him. Let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you consider coming to Christ the way that the wise men and the shepherds came to Christ? The scriptures tell us that the wise men and the shepherds came and they knelt down before Jesus and they worshiped him. They paid homage to to Christ. Would you consider trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your shepherd, your king? It's the very best gift that you can possibly receive. God is offering the gift of salvation freely, no strings attached, if you would just but receive the salvation that God offers by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's my encouragement to you today. You might say, hey Dave, how can I do that? You know what? There's no magic words. It's you in your heart and in your mind talking to God with all sincerity saying, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm separated from you. I know I have absolutely no relationship with you. I will never be able to spend eternity with you because of this sin. But I know that I'm a sinner and I trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sin. And I believe in him. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. Scripture says if you do that, you are saved. First, or John 1, which Matt read I just want to reread. It says this. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who receive him, who believe on his name, he gives them the right to be called children of God. You can become a child of God tonight by putting your faith and trust in Christ. Let me challenge you to do that. 